lift up these prayer requests for you for my sister Kim with cancer, uh, for Brother Wayne, uh, for the kids club, uh, Father uh, Ramona Hill, she also has cancer, and for Freddie that he's still ailing from his legs and feet. Father, we lift these requests up to you, and we just ask that you would have your uh, healing hand upon each and every one who needs it. Uh, Father, for comfort and for blessings. Uh, Father, for um, just a, a, a comfort in their lives of, of what's going on. Father, there's so many. I know we have uh, some unspoken requests, and we have things going on in our lives that, uh, Lord, we just can't control. But we know that you are the great physician. You are the sovereign God. You are the one who controls and takes care of all things. So we lift these up to you, Father. We just ask you to uh, touch and to bless. Give comfort. We know that your will will be done in whatever case it does, and that we just want to honor that will. Father, this evening, help us to understand your word. Guide us and protect us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Get your Bibles out. Turn to the book of Jude. This is not going to be our study for the next several weeks because it's only 25 verses long. We're going to do basically a fill-in tonight. Um, I've got uh, a couple other things planned for the next few weeks. Uh, probably looking at the minor prophets, and um, that will take a few weeks. But tonight, just until I get my Jude, mm-hmm. just until I get my stuff together and get studying on the minor prophets, and we're going to just fill in here and there so we can have something for Sunday night. In the book of Jude, Jude was written in about 66-65 A.D. Uh, Our concern in in this book, the major verse in this book, uh, is chapter, or verse 3. Jude is the writer of this book. Jude, he says in the first verse that the brother of James, James was the pastor or leader of the Jerusalem church at that time. He was also the half-brother of Christ, of Jesus, him and James both. Uh, so he uh, wrote this small book, or this small letter, to a group of people. Uh, we'll start in the verses. We probably won't read all 25. I'll skip over parts, but we'll get to the main uh, section of this. It said, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to whom that are sanctified by God and Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to the condemnation and ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins his letter, of course, pronouncing who he was, and he calls himself a servant. Uh, Most scripture calls a bondservant. He voluntarily into that. We know about Jude and James both being the half-brothers of Jesus, when they first, uh, when Jesus came out with his ministry, they didn't believe him. 
James or Jude, either one. They mocked him at the first. Both were saved after the resurrection of Christ. But Jude says here, he says, I am the brother of James, and he's writing to a group of people. We're not told who they are, but we can tell what kind of people they are. He says they are sanctified, which means they're saved. They are born-again Christians he's writing to. He said, sanctified by God the Father, that's, that's salvation right there, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So they are part of the called. He said, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. He gives a blessing upon them. Verse 3 is our main verse, and we want to look at it because this is, this is what the whole book is about. His occasion here is the false teachers have gotten into the church and they have started, uh, uh, as he says, denying the God. They started teaching uh, the wrong doctrines that were in, that, that had already been taught. But he says that I, I wrote unto you, I don't wanted to write unto you the common salvation. He first started out to write this letter to them about the common salvation, the salvation that all believers have. All the, the, all the believers have the one salvation, and that's through Christ Jesus. The grace by faith through believing in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is considered the common salvation among brethren. Okay? And this is what he wants to write them to. But, he says, the Holy Spirit dealt with him and said, that's not what you're going to write about. He says, you're going to write this. He said, I exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. His whole purpose was to write this letter about the salvation that they have, but the Holy Spirit said, no, there's something else going on in this church and these people, and that you need to deal with that. And he said it was to con earnestly contend for the faith. They had gotten to the part where they were falling away. They were getting into the apostasy, Apostasy is the abandonment of their profession, their, their profession in Christ. A total desertion. Uh, have you ever known somebody that, that uh, at one moment they're calling, they're saying they're Christians, they're, they're professing Christ, they're believing in him, and then the next thing you know, somewhere down the line, they're living like they used to live. They're drinking, they're carrying on, they're, they're, they're not doing the things they were doing or had been doing. And he says here, he says this, we need to earnestly contend for the faith. Faith, faith, faith. I'm reminded of a, a book, J.C. Ryle wrote a small book. Uh, J.C. Ryle, was from, he was born 1816, died 1900. And he was a, a bishop in the Church of England uh, in the 1800s. Now don't get excited because it's okay. There were a lot of good people in the Church of England, Okay. But he was, he was one of the bishops of Liverpool. And he wrote a small book called The Warning to the Churches. And it was about this. It was about being careful of what you're listening to and what you're hearing and what you're allowing into the church. And he goes through a whole book. It's a very good book. It, it's only about ten bucks. Small one. It's very easy to read. But he goes on and talks about that in that book. Uh, Spurgeon, once in his, during his ministry in his lifetime, he had a, a controversy come up. He had preached a sermon on basically this same passage, on uh, contending for the faith. And his message in that message was, or, or in that passage was, that, you know, 
everything was getting away from the Orthodox Church. And what I mean by that is the way the church should be, the, the basics of church or Christianity. And so he, he had that sermon, and he was in a group uh, we would call now kind of like the Southern Baptist Convention. Or he was in a, the Association of Baptist Churches, that kind of thing. And when, he, when he, that sermon was uh, printed and, and cast out, he started getting a lot of bad letters. Uh, they were starting to uh, oppose him and, and tell him that he was wrong and all this and that. And so there was a, a controversy of his side and all these Baptist churches' side. Well, Spurgeon was right. We look at today and we look at what's going on around us. Uh, we go into churches where there's, you know, rock bands playing. Guess what? That's the world, Okay. They're not believing in, in the Bible and what Christ has said. They're believing on what man is standing up here saying. A lot of these mega churches, Joe Osteen and a bunch of them, uh, they have all kinds of people in their church. Whether they are saved or not, I have no idea. That's not my problem. Uh, if they are, I don't know their hearts. I can see the works of Joe Osteen, Paula White, Marilyn Hickey, Joyce Myers, I can see their works, and I can pretty much tell you they're false teachers. But he says we need to be contend for the faith. We need to stand up for it. We need to protect it. We need to uh, let people know. And the word contention is to, to stand face to face with somebody and argue with them. Not in a sense that we scream and holler and, and put our fists up and get ready to fight but to stand firm on what we believe. This is what Jude is trying to say. He said there had been certain men that had snuck in into the church. You know, we, we went through the book of Galatians. Remember what we were talking about, the Judaizers. They had gotten into the Galatian church and were starting to teach those people that, uh, you know, you can be saved, you can believe in J Jesus Christ, but now you need to go and be circumcised. Uh, that's not part of salvation, but that's what they were teaching. And that's what he's talking about here. He said they have crept in unawares. Uh, they've got, they were already ordained. They were ungodly men. Uh, you know, we, we see people come in every Sunday. There's people sent, and we don't know them. And we just wonder who they are. Well, the best way to do that is to go and talk to them, right? But when you get someone into your church and he, he's acting like a Christian and he's talking like a Christian and he's believing like a Christian, but then somewhere down the line he says something that's not right. I, I was speaking this morning at the uh, Shannon's church and I mentioned that, you know, these pastors and these preachers who allow this stuff to come in uh, are probably no better than they are. Uh, we talked about that. And, you know, this is what we need to contend about. We need to be about God's business of making sure that who is coming into these pulpits in our church are right. But he says these men who have crept in unaware, they've, they're ordained from the beginning, he says, from old times, because of this condemnation. They're ungodly men. They're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. 
All of these televangelists we see out here, Joel Osteen and a bunch of those, you know what their con biggest concern is? It's not the souls of the people coming into their church. Exactly. It's that money. It's what they can put in their pocketbook. That's what they're concerned about. Joe Osteen says, and he's wrote in a big book about it, you're living the best life you'll live. Wrong. Right at the moment, we're probably living the worst life we're living. Because heaven is going to be the best life we're going to have. Okay? And it's all about making people feel good. It's all about making sure that these people feel good. Oh, I like that. Hey, I was, what was it? I was watching one Sunday morning before we come to church. There was a guy, I can't remember who it was. And he says, send me at least $1,000, and I will send you this handkerchief, blessed with water. Blessed. Well, I can go buy these handkerchiefs for a dollar apiece. There'd be about 1000 of them, wouldn't they? But he said, we need to uh, contend for the faith. The, the grace of God is being turned into a money-making deal. You know, we, we talk a lot about Christmas being commercialized, right? Santa Claus and Pepsis and Cokes and all the different advertisements and, and commercials and stuff. Well, that's what these men were doing. They were turning the gospel of Christ into a money-making deal, a commercial. They were making money off of it. And then he says they were also denying the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, scripture tells me that if you say, or you deny God, what's he say he's going to do? He'll deny you. He says that if you deny me here, he's deny you up there. These men were denying. They were already condemned to hell. He goes on to say, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, from verse 5 to 10, he goes on to give examples of the punishment or the dealings of what happened. Uh, turn over your books into, um, uh, where am I at? Uh, do, 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 do. Genesis. Remember when the people left, God took them out of Egypt. He took them out of Egypt and he had Moses lead them out. They finally got to the Mount of Sinai. And Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God. Right? He was gone for 40 days up there on that mountain. What did the people start doing? They started wanting to go back to Egypt. They started complaining. Moses had left us. He just left us out in the desert to be, to be left for the animals. He's gone away from us. So what did they do? They, they started to build a calf. They had Aaron bless this calf and this golden statue. They decided to make their own God. What they had started out believing when they left Egypt, praising God for his deliverance out of bondage, Within a few couple of years, they were wishing they were back in that bondage. And they kept doing that over and over and over. 
look at the in, in Genesis 6. You don't have to turn there. I've got the verse here. Chapter, chapter 6, it talks about Satan and him taking a third of the angels from heaven. And Satan used to be one of God's precious angels. His most beautiful, it says. And what did he do? He convinced one-third of God's angels to rebel. To tell them, he, he's telling you a bunch of lies. And God cast him out with the angels, with one-third of the angels. So he gives him, he gives, Jude gives these examples of, of the apostasy, the, the belief they had in the beginning. And then what happened to them? You know, we looked over in Jude, or in Galatians, and Paul asked him at one point, he said, who has done this to you? Who's turned your belief in Christ to this? You're going backwards now. And this is the same way he's talking here. He's given these examples of, of the people who had uh, been led into salvation and, or, or had been blessed by God in a special way, and now they're turning their backs. Uh, I know a couple of uh, men who were preachers at one time, and they went into the pulpit as pastors, and within a few years they stepped out of it. And they said they didn't want it no more. They said it was too much for them. You know what? They probably weren't prepared for that in the first place. God probably wasn't set for them to be that. But he gives these examples. What about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19? Lot thought he was going to go in there and change them, didn't he? He thought he was going to go to that beautiful plain, that beautiful area, and grow his crops and, and feed his sheep and take care of them. And what did he end up doing? Living in that sinful city. And it was destroyed. He also gives an example of Michael, the archangel, he said, uh, he says here, Likewise also the filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Yet Michael, in verse 9, he says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Do you know that Moses wasn't buried? God took care of that. Okay? But he says, Michael disputed with the devil. The devil wanted Moses' body. What for? Okay? But he disputed against him. And here, here, here's something I, I just, when I started reading this, I just, it just came to me and understood this. But it says that the devil he disputed about the body of Moses does not bring against him a real accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Michael said, the Lord rebuked you, Satan. You know, I hear people say, you know, and I've not heard it in this church, but I've heard it in others. You know, people saying, I rebuke you, Satan. You can't rebuke nobody. Only Christ can rebuke. That, he is the only one that's allowed to do that. He's the only one with the power to do that. All we can do is say, Lord, I need your help. I need you to take this. Because Satan's coming against me. And we let Lord take care of it. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beast, and those things that are corrupt themselves. Woe unto them 
for they have gone in the way of Cain and have ran greedily, greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These, these, these men have stuck into the, into the church and, and they're, they're teaching the wrong doctrines. They're teaching false and they're making money at it. Guarantee you, if you look into the background of a lot of preachers that have these mega churches, I'm not saying all of them. If you you know you can go in and look search them on the internet, Google will give you all the information you want. But if you look at them and you read the information about them, I guarantee you they own, they own four or five mansions somewhere. They have airplanes. They have cars. They have ranches. They have all kinds of things. We used to have a, a missionary come here once in a while, years ago. And, and, you know, God blesses, don't get me wrong. But I don't believe God blesses you to have you display it. It's not for show. We used to have a missionary come here once in a while, evangelist, really. And uh, he'd pull up in his Cadillac with his $300 Armani suit and his $500 state skin boots and his Rolex watch and so. And he was a good preacher. Don't get me wrong. He was good. But I think it was all show. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know his heart. So I, I'm not, you know, I can't say that. But these men were getting in there and they were, they were basically making money off of the gospel. These are spots of your feast of charity when they first, when they feast with you feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about a wind, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. These men are nothing but dead fruit. That's what Jude is saying about them. He said they're not worth anything. He said they're going to take everything they can get from you and they're going to turn you toward hell. They're going to take your money. I was speaking this morning, I don't know if you all remember him, there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Casey Price. He was a colored man. He's still preaching, I think. I ain't seen him lately, but... When I was first saved, I was a young Christian, and I would turn him on, and I'd watch him. He was a good preacher. I, he was up and down, you know, he was preaching, he was proclaiming the Word. I thought, man, this is great. I'd watch him, I'd watch him every week. Man, he was good. After about a few months, after I've gotten into studying the Word, reading, you know, getting into Bible study and all that, I sit down and watch him one morning, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not what my Bible says. And so I started listening to him. And a lot of these you can do that to. There's 90% of truth that they may preach. But then there's that 10% at the very end. They may, they may uh, share the gospel with you. They may, they may uh, tell you all about what Christ did. But at the very end, they're going to say, send me your offering, and I'll give you this blessing. Send me this, and I'll give you that. Send me this, and I'll give you that 10%. That one little 10% covers up everything else. It overrides the 90% of truth that they were teaching. 
He said, the raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom it reserved the blackness of darkness forever. He said, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Enoch of the Old Testament prophesied of this same thing. And this is now some, oh, probably 1,800 years later. Here's Jude teaching it. Paul taught it. James, Matthew, they all did. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouths speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They're great speakers. Paul says in, in, in one of his epistles, he says, I'm not a great speaker. He says, I, I was never what? Moses, when he went, when God called Moses to, to go out and lead the people, to go tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses told him, he said, I can't say anything. I'm not a speaker. Moses was taught in some of the best Egyptian schools. He was a good speaker. But he knew that God speaking is better than his would ever be. Moses couldn't even do it. These men were great speakers. How many times have you ever listened to someone who, who had a great speech? Really, really great speech. Pay close attention to them. Now, I'm not going to get into political. I'm not going to listen you know, all that. This is in the, in the pulpit. If a man comes up here and he can rattle off verses and he can teach this and preach this and say this, and this boom, 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 and everybody's like, wow. You know what? Quit admiring him on his speech and listen to what he's saying. Because that may be the point. It's like a magician. He's doing something in this hand, but are you watching this one? That's why it works. A magician can do all kinds of stuff. He's going like this. You know what? While you're watching where the action is, he's got something else going on. That's the way these men are. That's, the way he, that's what Jude is talking about. These men who have snuck in. Verse 19, he says, now he finally gets into uh, the exhortation of the, what, what we need to do. He said, but beloved... Remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the words that Christ told his apostles. You see, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. But they had word of mouth. They had what the apostles had written down and what they had said and what they had taught. Before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mocking in the last times, who should walk after their ungodly lust? Even Christ told them. You need to pay attention to what you're listening to. Uh, we just, you know, we, we're we're in. Paul and them thought they were in the last days, and that was the first century. I believe we're in the last days as well. Because Paul seen a lot of this stuff back then. 
Jude saw it, James saw it, they, they all saw this, all this coming about. We're getting closer to that. We're seeing it even worse. We're, we're not persecuted as some countries are. We're not, you know, being thrown out of our houses and our land stolen. Well, if you want to call taxes that, but... <laughs> But we're, we're not being persecuted to the point that we have to stand up and defend ourselves. Okay? Paul had to. James had to. Jude probably did. But we are in the days where we're seeing history being made. And maybe not good history. But we are seeing those last days come about. I talked about apostasy this morning when I was preaching at Chan's church. Apostasy is that falling away. Scripture says that there will be a famine. There will be a falling away of the things of God. That's what this apostasy is. That's what these people were doing. And, and Jude had to convince them, you've got to hang on. You've got to stand firm and contend. You've got to hold on to the faith. The truth that was preached by the apostles... Hang on to it. Don't let them get you off on another track. Because that's what they're trying to do. We're getting close to that. We're getting close to that final end, I believe. You know, it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be 100 years from now. But I believe that we're getting awful close. Technology is taking over things. Liberals are taking over things. The, the secular world is taking over things. And we can't get away from it. Pastor was preaching, I think Pastor Pro preached last week about, you know, our, uh, our uh, desynthesizing toward the things of the world. You know, we watch TV and, and they say certain words and stuff and we're like, you know, we don't care. You know, we hear it all the time, right? You know, things that we see and things that we hear. It's all around us. Verse 19, he says, These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. These are unsaved. They walk in their ungodly lusts. Uh, who was it years ago? What's that preacher from Louisiana? Um, can't think of the name now. Think of his name. He was from Louisiana. He he had a big program on TV and had a big church with us. And all of a sudden, he got caught uh, with a prostitute one weekend. Huh? Jimmy Swagger. Yeah. Uh, you know what? What was that one? Uh, 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 had his wife wore all that makeup. What was her name? Tammy Faye. Tant Baker. Jim Baker and Tammy Faye. Boy, talking about painting a barn. That was, some, that was about four or five coats, wasn't it? Something. Anyway, they, they, they had it all. They had it all. They had homes. They had cars. They had planes. They, you know, they, she could have all the fancy, expensive dresses, the clothes she wanted. But what happened? It fell in on them. That house of cards fell in on them. They were ungodly. They may have tried to preach the gospel, but in behind, they were just doing it for the show. He goes on, he says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, 
trained in the Holy Ghost. He's telling us now, he said, this is what we got to be doing. He said, we need to hold on to that faith. He need, we need to keep ourselves, build ourselves up in that. How do you build yourself up in the faith? Right there. That, and then he says to pray into the Holy Ghost. That's the only two things that's going to keep us from going anywhere and doing Pastor is doing a, a thing with the men on Friday mornings. He's going through a book of uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. And it gets into those things. The things that we look at, the things that we hear, the things that we, you know, uh, uh, put before us can cause us to fall back. But these men were coming in and they were disrupting these people's lives and telling them false, telling them all kinds of false doctrine. All for the money. It, back in the, uh, the days of the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther uh, wrote the 95 Thesis. And one of the reasons for that was is because the church, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, was doing all these things that were not biblical. Uh, particularly uh, buying or selling indulgences. Uh, you know, if a family member of mine had died, uh, you could go to the guy who sells indulgences and you give him a little bit of gold or silver or coins or whatever you had, and he'd say, okay, here's this paper, he'd sign it, now your, your loved one is out of purgatory. They're not there no more. Well, purgatory is fake, right? Well, that piece of paper was fake. There was nothing to it. And during that time, you know, that's what they were doing. They were making money for the Roman Catholic Church. But they kept most of it. There was a, if, you, if you ever read about that, it's really interesting. The history of the churches is a fantastic way to get really know what's going on. When Henry VIII decided to break away from the Roman Catholic Church and start the Church of England, he had his, his army or his head men, whatever, go to all the Roman Catholic churches in the country and start taking all their statues down, taking all their land away from them. The, these bishops and these priests were getting wealthy. For example, they had, there was a story of, of one church uh, somewhere in England, and they had a statue of Mary up here on their, on their pulpit. And they had it, if you came in and, you wanted to have a, you know, a blessing, or you put your money in the pot. Well, if you put enough money in the pot, Mary's eyes would move. She'd blink for you. You were blessed. You walked out. If her eyes didn't move, you didn't put enough in. So you'd put a little more in. Put some more gold into the pot. Okay. Well, if you put enough in, then her eyes would blink for you. Well, this was going on in all these different churches. They were doing all these different things like this. Uh, there was one where um, if you put one in, a water would come out of a pitcher. It's supposed to be blessed water. And you could have a little sip of it. But you had to put enough money into it. Well, when Henry decided to break off and he started destroying all this stuff, that's when they started finding out about it. Uh, the one with Mary, her eyes blinking, they found out there was a priest 
or one of the workers standing behind the statue, behind the wall, and if the priest said a certain word, a, a, basically a, a, a signal, the guy would pull a little string. Mary's eyes would blink. Yeah, he put enough in. Okay. And they would go out happy. The one with the pitcher of water, that was a, they had a little trap door in it. And they said that the, there would be a priest or somebody down underneath. And when the priest was out there, gave the signal, then he'd open that little door up and a little water would come out. You could have that sip. There were all kinds of different Some of them were outlandish. But they were making money off the people for the church. And they were required, now the priests were required to give so much to the, main, to the Pope or to uh, Rome. But he could keep the rest. Kind of like the taxpayers in the Old Testament or in the New Testament days, where you know they hired a tax collector. He, as long as he paid the taxes that were due to Rome, he could keep the rest. Right? It was the same way, but this was being done in the church, and it was not just the Catholic Church; it was other churches as well. But they were making money off the church. He said, "But build yourself up." Hold on to that faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I think that's one of the problems we have anymore. We don't pray in the Holy Ghost. We don't pray, God, help us. You know, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And if we go to him, he goes to God. We can go straight to God. And Lord Jesus, you know, we read that in Galatians. What did he say? Abba, Father. We go straight to him. He said we need to contend for that faith. We need to stand up for it. We need to fight for it. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. That's what we're looking for, the eternal life. The final day that we leave this earth, whether it be by death or rapture, we're going to enter into heaven with Christ. That's what we're looking for. That is the mercy and grace of God. And if some have compassion making the difference. We just have a we just have a thing up here. There they are, right there. Some having compassion making a difference. That some have compassion making a difference. There are some out there that's doing the work of God. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. There are some great preachers out there. There are great churches out there. There are great pastors that are preaching the gospel and getting people saved. We may not see it right here every day, every Sunday, but the word is being proclaimed. He says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, which is Christ Jesus, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceedingly joy. If we stand for that faith, if we hold on to it, if we continue to walk by the Holy Spirit, the way Christ says to, what's he say we're going to do? He's going to keep us, he's going to present us faultless before God. Always, we get discussion, things like that, you know, when we stand before God, we're going to be given rewards for what we've done. 
And he's already got it. He may already have a treasure chest waiting for us. And every time we, we, we do something great, he just adds to that reward. But then every time we do something that is against God, take something out. When we get to that final reward, we'll be in heaven. We will be standing before God faultless only because Jesus Christ died. Only because his blood was shed for us. He said we will stand in glory with him and we will have exceedingly joy. To the only wise God and Savior be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and ever. Amen. God says if we walk the way he intends us to walk, if we, we talked about it in Galatians when we were studying it, if we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, there's going to be rewards. There's going to be a glory that we're going to see, that we're going to stand before God faultless. Christ is going to either look at God and say, he's not one of mine, or that's mine there, and that's it. Those who Christ says is not his, sorry. And these men, these lascivious men, these men who have crept in or are teaching the false doctrines, they are going to pay for that. It's just like pastors, uh, deacons, these men who, who preach the gospel that God's called into the pulpit. They will have a special reward in heaven but they will also pay a bigger price if they're teaching falsely. I don't fall down yet. <laughs> they, will, they will be condemned. And, you know, it's, I would hate to see. I don't, we're going to stand there. We're going to see all this. Revelation says we're going to stand before God and we're going to be watching all that goes on. Someone once said in the scripture, I haven't looked at, I haven't studied Revelation for a while, but he said, you know, we're going to be watching family members, friends, people we knew, people we thought were born-again Christians, be cast into the pit, the lake of fire. It's a ter terrible thing. But he says if we stand firm, if we, if we grasp that faith and hold on to it, that's what we need to do. That's what Jude is talking about. Any questions? Any comments? Well, like I said, this is just a feeler for this week. Hopefully, if my material gets here, next week we'll get into studying the minor prophets. Starting with the minor ones, not the big ones. Jeremiah and Isaiah, nope. We're getting to the little guys, okay? <laughs> they're not as long, they're not as, as expensive. So, any, any questions? Any comments? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this evening that you've given us to come and, and just enjoy uh, being together as uh, uh, your family. Father, we thank you for blessing us as you have, for giving us all that we have in this life. God, we know that our, a better life is coming. Lord, we pray tonight. We just ask for your blessing upon us. Watch over us as we leave here. Watch over us and protect us this week. Help us in all things that we need to do. That your will be done in each and everything. We love you. We praise you. And in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.